0: of year, there are many must-see holiday films, I know, for many of us. Um, On the top of the list for a few, I don't doubt, would be the first installment in the Home Alone movies. Uh, Some of you may remember uh, that from some number of years ago. Macaulay Culkin starred as Kevin McAllister, this little guy who uh, somehow or another ends up Left home alone he's abandoned, I guess you could say by his family as they're packing up hurriedly and hurriedly heading off to to paris that's France, not tennessee to to Paris for their their big Christmas shindig, their big family vacation and and um in the years since not so much when it was first released because I was just even more clueless then than I am now um but but now that I'm a parent and thinking about this and yeah, I've been on a vacation on a trip or two, and we've had some chaos in the house. And I, okay, I understand that. But still, I'm watching this movie today, and I'm thinking to myself, how in the world could these parents be that distracted that you leave your child behind as you go off on this big trip? Well, you, you, if you've seen the film, you know something of, of that. They, um, they've lost perspective. It's pretty evident. In the opening scenes, they—they have just totally lost perspective, and with that, their priorities have shifted. Believe it or not, I think there's something of of a metaphor there in the opening scenes of Home Alone for our Christmas celebration year after year. We do a lot of stuff that's all around this birth that has little to nothing about the birth. And by the time we get to the end of December, we now have a new annual tradition. And we don't much care for it. But it's this pang of regret. This sense of lost opportunity. I did it again. I did it again. I I didn't immerse myself. I didn't contemplate. I didn't reflect. I just rode it like a leaf going down the stream. Like a a tumbleweed in, in the wind. I did it again next year, next time, next time I'll take advantage. I'll I'll, I'll seize the moment, seize the season. Next year, next Advent, I'll, I'll do better. Can I make a suggestion? How about this year? How about this time? How about just as we're getting started, we think about, just for a few minutes, what it might look like. To immerse ourselves in an Advent celebration. If you have your Bible, if you'd ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is the third of the Gospels that we have, the third of the books of the New Testament uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Matthew and Luke are the two writers that we go to so often this time of year for the historical narratives as far as the arrival of this king. Uh, we're looking at uh, a little portion, though, of Luke's account for us in Luke 2, uh, verses 15 through 20. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. If you'd follow along uh, silently and as, I, as I read the text, hear now God's word. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Lord, we want to start here at the beginning of this Advent celebration, and ask we ask you this morning that you would help us to, to do just that, to celebrate your coming, that you would, like the dawn into the, the night, breaking through light into the dark, that you would uh, enable us, guide us, move within our thoughts and and hearts to see the significance of your coming all the more Um, that we then would just find ourselves impelled to want to um, immerse ourselves in a celebration of your coming because we are growing in our understanding of how much we need it. And how wondrous it is that you have come. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, of course, Christmas has been celebrated for many years. And therein, it has been celebrated in many ways. Some are good. Some are not so good. Uh, You may not know this, but up until the 1800s, at least as far as uh, England and in early America, Christmas was pretty much a pagan holiday. There was very little Christ in the celebration of Christmas. Uh, it was really much more of, well, much less of a day of, of worship and prayer and reflection, and much more of a day of, of body songs, of a lot of rum, and riots in the street. You can, this is all true. It's a historical record, bears it out, and so much so that the pushback from many in, in the church, many clergy members, was, we just need to outlaw Christmas. If you can imagine the state of the celebration being what it was uh, at moving in, in again, in England and America, early America in in the late 1700s, early 1800s. That's how bad it was. And that's something of the context of this quote in your quotes and notes from George Whitfield. George Whitfield, that's the last one there on the page. Um, It's the context of of his remarks here, the, the great 18th century preacher and revivalist George Whitfield uh, said this, May we chant forth the the wonders of redeeming love and the riches of free grace amidst angels and archangels, cherubim and seraphim, without intermission, forever and ever. And as, my brethren, the time for keeping this festival is approaching, let us consider our duty and the true observation thereof, of the right way for the glory of God and the good of immortal souls to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, an event which ought to be had in eternal remembrance. So you hear what, what Whitfield's saying. He's pushing it back against the pushback. He's saying we ought not just to swing to an extreme in our response here. He, he's saying that, look, it's not that Christmas shouldn't be observed at all. It's just that we should be reflecting on how it should be observed. It's not that just because there are, are wrong ways that it's being observed, that there's no such thing as a right way. Well, what then might be the, the right way? Well, that's, this is the intro to a little series we're going to do over the coming weeks of the, the four Sundays in Advent. And uh, the overarching theme is the traditions of Christmas and looking at the, the deep biblical roots of some of the most common things that we do during the course of this holiday season with the desire that actually we would be doing them out of those roots and not just out of habit. Uh, Some of those, we'll get to these in the the coming weeks, would be things like this, um, such as um, the songs that we sing, the decorations that we put up, the gifts that we give. Now, now those are all known, right? I don't think you have to, that's not really much of an education cell in in telling you, oh, those are the things we do at Christmas. Um, Those are all well-known and much-done. But the one that I want to start with this week is one that's not so well known and not so much done. It's desperately needed, desperately neglected. It's something that with the deepest roots, it goes back to the very first celebration of Christmas. And it's contemplation. It's contemplation. Christmas is a celebration of the coming of Jesus. Christmas is a celebration of the coming of Jesus. We should then take the needed time for contemplation in the midst of this. Recognizing this season as a gift. As a gift. As as a golden opportunity. All around us. In the sights and the smells and all the sensory experiences and all the traditions and everything. We're soaking in it. This is a, a gift, a golden opportunity for us to immerse ourselves in this and truly celebrate, but that would then entail contemplation. I want to look at this from, from well it's not so much three angles because it's building build, build, building and in, in, I guess you could say making a case. First the why, the why of the contemplation. Uh, secondly the, the what so what should be our, our focus be? what are we contemplating? and then thirdly, how okay? So first why, then what? then how? let's take this in turn. So the why of the contemplation, what what? What's behind it? What's the rationale? What's driving it? What's impelling it? If you look with me at verses 17 through 19, we're getting a sense of that here. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now, uh, what you have here, the shepherds are going forth with this message upon their lips. And clearly, Luke is sitting out here before us. There is a contrast, a marked contrast between the way Mary responds and the way the people of Bethlehem respond. And you see it with that first word in verse 19. But... We need to think about that. What, what's setting that contrast off, and how does that inform something of the why of the contemplation and the necessity of it? So what's the news that the people have heard? What, what is it that the people of Bethlehem have, been, have heard from these shepherds? That, that out there in the fields, right outside the city limits, right in those fields, they have they're, they're news from angels. The shepherds say that in, in, right out there, they saw the glory of the Lord. That is to say, the visible manifestation of the presence of God. They saw His glory. They saw His messengers, His angels. And then what those angels proclaimed oh my goodness, I mean, the coming of a king, not just a king, not just a hero, but the king, the hero of the heroes. The news of the Christ come. The hope and fears of all the years met in, well, Bethlehem, that night. This one come as one of us, for us. And they're in a manger. That's the news. That's what the people are hearing from um, these shepherds. News of the glory of the Lord. News of the messengers of the Lord. And, and, oh my goodness, they have seen Him as well. Not just the news, but they've actually seen Him. All of this. Okay, that's what the people have heard. as being passed around one to another. There's, that's the social media of those times. It's The spoken word. Um, they're in the streets of Bethlehem. How do they respond? How do they respond? They dismiss the message. They dismiss the messengers. Um, Shepherds, you need to understand, were perceived back in those days as, as uneducated, unclean, untrustworthy people. That's how they were perceived, and so whatever it was that they were communicating was then received as not really worth much of anything. A shepherd in those times... Uh, because of their reputation, because of the calling, all, all the stuff that's going on there in that time of the, of, of the history of the world, in, in that place in the world, um, in a court of law, their testimony wouldn't have even been accepted. Just dismissed out of hand. So the, the, their, what they had to say was being dismissed out of hand And so, in that, the people are nothing but distracted in the midst of of what they're hearing. It's just business as usual. Nobody does. Have you ever thought about that, right? The shepherds come, they proclaim the news to the whole town. It's a little town, little town of Bethlehem, right? It's over, you know, overflowing with people there because of the census and everything. But the word gets out, and what do they do? Nothing. Because the messengers have been dismissed and the people are too distracted to pay attention. I mean, you, you look at verse 18, and we need to understand what it is that Luke is telling us here. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. This is not the response of belief. That's not what he means by that word. That's, that's that word has the connotation of being amazed and astonished and surprised. Yes, but it is not belief. It's not accepting it. It's not embracing it. It's not dealing with it. It's a vague, non-committal kind of eh. Which is natural. It's common. And the point being, that's not the way to respond to this news. The natural, common way. Luke is giving us a, a tip here, a pointer here, an indicator here. Oh, my goodness, no. No, Advent, if I can just put it this way, Advent is not a time to do what comes naturally. Advent is not a time to do what comes naturally. Now, actually, there's a whole lot about this season that we, the stuff we do that is anything but natural. We wear ridiculous sweaters. Some of us wear ridiculous ties. Um, We eat too much. We spend too much. We hang out with people at certain social functions that otherwise we never would hang out with. I mean, we're doing weird things all during the course of this month. And what we're being called to do here is just, if I can just put it this way, one more unnatural thing. And that is intentional focus put on the coming of this king. Which, again, is not natural. It doesn't come instinctively to us. But that's what a true celebration of Advent would entail. you know. And that would mean, then, in order to say yes to this, we have to be willing to say maybe no to some other things. Good things, maybe. Um, you know, maybe a few less errands over the course of the coming weeks. Uh, maybe trim that to-do list down uh, just a little bit. Maybe asking ourselves, instead as, as we're you know pu- pushing some things out and what then might fill it in, asking ourselves, how can I love and care and serve for the least of these? How can I love and care and serve others such that I can open up opportunities for them to have time to reflect on, meditate on the coming of this king? Not just for me. But how can I open up pathways for others to have that time as well? Now please by the way when I say you need to say no to some things says yes to other I'm not saying there's no there's no place for fun and frivolity in the course of December. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's just first things first. First things first. What is this for? And might it be that we should, as the church, as followers of Jesus, should be leading the way in that and setting a pace for that, one for another, and in this larger culture? Christmas is about the celebration of the coming of the King, the coming of Jesus. That then demands, if we're going to celebrate this in the right way, time set aside for contemplation. Point one the why, okay? It doesn't come natural. So we're going to have to be intentional. That's the first thing. Which then leads into the second thing. The what. Okay, so that's the rationale. That's why we're supposed to... But what are we supposed to be giving our attention to? What is to be occupying our... Or or what is the focus of our attention, if I can put it that way? What's the focus of Mary's attention? If we could just really drill down here in in verse 19, it begins to become clear. You have the contrast, but... The, 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 everyone who heard it wondered, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Um, ancient uh, church father, Jerome, a brilliant biblical scholar, translated the Hebrew Old Testament in, and the Greek New Testament, both of them, into... Uh, the, the Latin, the common language of, of the time. Um, Jerome spent the last 35 years of his life uh, doing that kind of labor uh, out, of, out of Bethlehem, actually. Um, just just a, a brilliant man. And I'm going to read to you an excerpt. It's the, the first one, I think. Yeah, the first in your quotes and notes at the top of the page. These are, It's an excerpt from a sermon that he preached likely sometime late 4th or early 5th century from the Basilica of the Nativity, which is basically it was a church, and still there remnants of it are there today, uh, there in Bethlehem. And this is what he said: She is, of course, talking about Mary. She looked at the child lying before her. She saw the child crying in the manger. She saw there the Son of God, her son, her one and only son. She looked at him, and in her musing, she compared what she had heard with what she had read, and with what she herself perceived. Now, what is what is Jerome getting at here? Well, he's saying he, she has, over the course of her years as a young woman, heard the prophecies read, likely in the synagogue. She has heard just a few months before the words of the angel, and now with her own eyes she is seeing, and in her own arms she is holding the fulfillment of, of all of it that's what's occupying her attention. And that's to be the focus of our own as well. Now you might say at that point, whoa, 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 wait wait a minute, wait. A minute. But I don't have the same thing Mary did. I mean, no angel has come and spoken to me. And, and I, I'm not you know, I'm not there in the cave, the stable on that first night. I don't have what Mary did. I don't have the ability to reflect back and, and weigh and wrestle and yes, you do. What do you have sitting in front of you? We have the record right here of all the prophecies, of all the events. We've got everything we even have what came decades after that, in terms of guiding our reflection upon all of that. We have all that Mary had and more to immerse ourselves in, uh, in terms of uh, what what ought to be the focus of our attention. We have every bit as much as what she had and yet and more. And, And if I can just speak not just the reality of what we have, but the character of what we have, oh my goodness. The, the, the unity of its testimony? I mean, this is not just some rag-bag, randomly haphazard, thrown-together religious bits and pieces that we just try and make sense. No, it's, it's one tapestry with, with all of the component parts sewn together, interwoven into a single pattern despite the number of years and which it's, it's unfolding, the number of authors, the number of events, the number of cultures, the number of places, events, in which is the context, all of that, it's about one thing. Jesus. The unity of this is miraculous. Let me st- something else is worth pondering. The nature of what we have here, the miraculous nature of what we have here in the Word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, old and, and, and new testament. It, it, it's in many ways comparable to the u- unique nature of Jesus Himself. Fully divine and fully human. So too is the Bible. Fully divine and fully human at the same time. It's it's absolutely just mind blowing, miraculous what we have here to immerse ourselves and to give the focus, this focus of our attention. Two, so the what? The what, then, the answer to that is the scriptures. All that we have here before us. If I can illustrate this. Um, one of the things that's in the news these, these days right now, and, and it's rather ironic in some respects that this would be news. The news, many are talking about the proliferation of other kinds of news over the, the last presidential campaign. That is to say fake news. News that, that's not just mistaken, oh, we, we got it wrong, or or didn't mean to, and, and not just rumors, just stuff passed around, no malicious intent, but I'm, we're talking about outright lies. Outright intentional untruths that were typed up and disseminated out there in the general public over the last several months via social media. And both sides doing it, or... All three sides, or four sides, or how many sides there was in this, this last campaign. And, and, and while the, the agendas and the goals and the aspirations of those who are typing it up and disseminating it, I'm sure vary, the result is the same. What you end up with is a general public that is now all the more, like we weren't before, confused and ill-informed, you know those man-on-the-street interviews the comedians do and that sort of thing, um, we're now all the more ill informed and confused and split apart and conflicted as a result of all of that. And therein causing some to go deeper in their cynicism about the integrity of the entire electoral process given the fake news. Now, why, why are you bringing that up? What does that have to do with anything? Because. I would say it's a reminder in a a certain way of our need to go back to the sources, back to the the origins, back to, can I say, basics, back to the text. So as far as what it means to have the focus of our attention driven by these events, it's got to mean at least this much. That to celebrate this in this Advent season, it's just not going to be enough to think you're going to get a, a right feel, a right vibe, a right mood by like going out for a walk in the cold, wintry air. Getting a sniff of the evergreens and the decorations out there in your neighborhood. That's just not going to do it. It's not going to be uh, enough to watch your, your favorite holiday film. I don't care what it is. It's not going to be enough to hum the carol in the mall or on the radio or whatever it is. It's not going to be enough even to read an Advent devotional this month if that devotional and that author doesn't take you to the text. Back to the sources. Back to the foundation. Back to the fundamentals. That's where we have to go. We have to go. First and foremost, our focus needs to be on God's revelation of Himself in His inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word. More than anything else, we need to be steeping in That, in the celebration of the coming of this king, in the course of our contemplating and immersing ourselves in that celebration. Okay, so that's the why, something of the rationale. That's the what, something of uh, where our focus needs to be, how. How, though? There are some implicit things I want you to see and some explicit things I want you to see here as well, implicitly, if you go back and look at the text, just kind of if you think about what this is saying about the nature of reality, of who we are, of who God is, of what kind of cosmos we live in, there are some startling things here when you just begin to absorb just what we read in this passage. I want to back it up just a little bit uh, to verse 8. And read all the way down to verse 20, and just let this, pretend you've never heard this before. And let the wonder of what's being said here wash over you. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from him into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the thing that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Okay, so what just big picture in the backdrop, what are we picking up here? At least this much, something about the nature of who God is. Infinite. Constrained by nothing, all in in amna in, in everything in terms of power and might in his governing, in his intervening in the course of his creation and all that he made. He is no more constrained to do that than he was in the moment that he breathed it into being. He is infinite, but he's also personal. He's not just off there, but he's here. He's personal. He's not just a force. He's not just an idea. He can be known and wants to be known and is moving towards us that He be known. These are paradigm shifters here. Just those things by themselves. And then we see some things not just about the nature of God but the the, the revelation of God as He moves towards us. We see clearly. He wants us to know some things about him. Because we need to, we desperately need to, lest we be in the, literally, or I should say metaphorically, in the dark, spiritually, like like as Isaiah says, like men without eyes is one way that he just the prophet describes the people. Waiting, waiting, waiting. The world really in a state of, of waiting. He wants us to know about him, but oh my goodness, there's a step further you have to take that. Clearly He also wants us to not just know about Him, but to know Him. To have fellowship with Him. Us! Us, people like you, people like me, like shepherds. He wants us to have communion with Him as we were made for, hardwired for, designed for. Again, paradigm shifters. This is astonishing stuff that we're fine. I haven't even gotten explicit yet. I'm just talking about background, backdrop stuff that will flip your life upside down if you'll hear it, if you'll grapple with it. Okay, so let me shift to the explicit. Again, just one verse. Verse 19. As far as what it looks like. Okay, so how do I... You know, We've talked about why, we've talked about what. Now we're talking about how. How is beginning with understanding these things are true. That there is this God that He is infinite. That there is this God that He is personal. That there is this God who has revealed Himself. That Francis Schaeffer said He is there and He is not silent. He has spoken and revealed Himself that we might know Him. We begin with that. And then Mary helps us to see something else in her response. The contrast response here. Verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She didn't stop at wondering she embraced pondering, uh, treasuring, the, the need to treasure. That This word treasure in, implies a savoring. Uh, it implies a, a, a keeping, a holding, a protecting, a, a, a nurturing. Uh, it, it's not so much a technique or a discipline, but an attitude and posture of the heart. She is treasuring these things and, And that is the the sense, the posture, the attitude that she takes then as she begins to ponder them, as she begins to weigh them, as she begins to contemplate them, as she begins to, if you will, converse within her thoughts to try and wrestle with them and and discern what's happening here. And that's what we need to be doing and can be doing. And, And I would say... As we grasp what we have here, that will impel us to do that all the more. And as we do that all the more, that will help us grasp what it is we have here. You see the cycle? It's kind of like when we work a present. We need to work a text. Of course, these these next few weeks, you might get a present. I don't know, maybe. Anyway, Um, you know what this looks like to work a present. You get it. And But just maybe to be a little playful, maybe to tease the person that has given it to you, you don't quite open it just yet, right? You, you begin to massage the thing, to guess what's there, to um, sort of figure that out. You you begin to you ask yourself, well, who, who is this that's given it to me, and what is it that they know about me? And then you begin to kind of move the thing around, and you're looking for shape and size and weight and all that, and you're wondering, what does it sound like, and all of that stuff, and hopefully it doesn't bark or meow or something like that, you're shaking. And anyway... You're trying to figure, you're working the present. I'm saying we need to work the text. Wrestle with it. To treasure and ponder these things. To study it, yes. To observe it, yes. To interrogate it, yes. To sit in it. Then it might sit in us. Maybe even to try and paraphrase it. Put it into our, your, our own words. To drill down in there, discerning what's there. And, and to ask ourselves some, some questions that we might be able to get to the different layers of meaning and levels of significance and implications. you know, asking questions, this key question. If I believed this, what difference would it make in my life? If I believe this, what changes would come in the way I think, in the way I speak, in the priorities of my life, in the goals of my life, in the aspirations of in the way I see myself, the image I have of myself, in the way I think just of me, or what difference would it make in my relationships with other people, or with the Lord Himself, if I believed this was true. Working the text. That it might work us. That's part of what it means to celebrate His coming in this contemplating. This contemplating. What is Mary contemplating? Oh goodness, so many things. I can't help but think. But maybe this Isaiah verse, chapter seven, verse fourteen. The Emmanuel promise. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Oh my goodness. G.I.F. Packer referred to this as the miracle of miracles. God with us. God with us. Not just uh, a great man, a hero, as I said earlier, or just a king, but the man, the hero, the king with us. That is not because of our striving and struggling because of His intervention, His initiative, His coming towards us. And us, us, God with us, Not the perfect and the powerful, but the wavering and the weak. God with us. The Emmanuel promise. That's what Mary, oh my goodness, that's what she's treasuring and pondering. The fulfillment of of all of that. Those are, my friends, those are riches. Those are heights. Those are depths beyond our measuring, fathoming, imagining. To say that would be time well spent reflecting on the wonder of Emmanuel, that would be the understatement of recorded history. We need this. We need this. Let's receive it as the gift that it is this season and celebrate it as we should. Let me pray. Father, thank you. This is a busy season to be sure that we are heading into.